So here's my point. Here's why. <laughs> here's why I don't like. This is why I don't. I don't care about the kids who listen to our podcast. I know that sounds harsh, but it is what it is. Because I was at CVS the other day, and I wanted to fuck CVS. Sorry, I said it again. Anyway, I don't want to say their name. That's like free advertising for them. They're not paying us. Yeah, but do you want them to? Maybe. Then don't say bad things about them. Okay, I was at CVS, an okay grocery store that would be better if they paid us. That's their slogan now. That's exactly okay, but we'd be better if we paid you. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So I was at CVS the other day, and I wanted to get um, some Tide Pods to do laundry with, right? So I go, and they have it in this like futuristic, like acrylic locked door thing. And I'm sitting there, and it's got like holes in it, and like key, and also it's got like a keyhole in it, so that right? people don't eat it, right? Well, yeah. So people, well, I'm yeah, that's where I'm getting. So I'm trying to open this door thing, and I look like a fool because it's got keyholes in it. So I'm assuming it's locked. And I was like, okay, now I gotta find a, a a CVS employee who I'm sure is a fine person, but he'd be a better person if he paid us for sponsoring him. And he, <laughs> So I'm, I'm like looking around and this guy's like, it's open. And I was like, no, it's it's locked. It's got the thing in. And then he comes over to me and he literally just like sticks his hand into one of like the little empty holes and then just pulls the thing up in the weirdest way. Like a way, the way that a door would never open in a million years if you thought about it. Just like it opened like downward. Kind yeah, of thing. it was like a combination. You push between it like, and it goes down. Yeah, it was like the combination of between like the back of like a a big truck like an 18 wheeler yeah. that like slides up but also came out at you so it was like a little combination of the two it went, so like, like a garage door kind of like a garage door yeah. yeah and so i was like what what the like how was i supposed to know that it would open like that and the whole reason i went through this hardship the whole reason that they had the fake locks on it anyway and when you opened it by the way it like made this like huge ping and then over the intercom it was like well or not like over the intercom but over like the little speaker interface that's next to the Tide Pods, it was like, welcome to CVS. Thank you for shopping with us. Like, whatever. And like, just presumably scare you away, like when you open the door. And so I found out that they do this because these fucking kids are out here eating Tide Pods. I mean, not anymore, but there was that thing where they were eating Tide Pods for a long time. 2018 was a wild year. It was, it was insane. It really was. I can't believe people ate Tide Pods. We're now, as of this recording, in 2019. So this is why I don't, care about the kids who listen to this show because these motherfuckers are eating Tide Pods. I want you to know those people that are eating the Tide Pods are roughly our age slash our demo. So here you are bashing our demo, our, the main people who listen to us. I don't want you in my demo if you eat Tide Pods. Come on. It's detergent. It's like, I mean, uh, it's, imagine I, imagine what the what our name kind of like shouts out to them. Taste it. You know? Oh my god. <laughs> these kids out there, they're looking at Tide Pods and they're listening no. to taste it. Like, how is that not going to come up? I can't. I can't. We're like, how do you wrap your head around? Can you wrap your head around that? Can you get like, what's the rationale between eating Tide Pods? What? Why would they do it? I mean, I feel like it's are a, they videotaping for, it? Is it like, for the it, internet? I think I'm pretty sure it started out as a meme. Like they were, okay. they weren't serious about it, and then no, but people did seriously did it and like actually no, it died. It went very far out into a joke, yeah, and then it became too serious, like too seriously a joke, I guess. But it's like. Think, think about it this way. It's like, hey, like, haha, wouldn't it be funny if I ate this Tide Pod? Haha, <laughs> yeah, right, bro. And then, like, another person kept saying that, and then another person, and then the YouTube people, and by YouTube people, I mean, like, those people who talk to the, like, large groups of their subscribers got together and they said, haha, Tide Pod, Tide Pod Challenge, ha ha ha. Just joke, 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 me, 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 me. And then people started recording themselves doing it to take the joke further. And then they just, that's where, like, it spiraled out of control. But at, like, it doesn't take a lot of intelligence like if you're like hey 12 if, if to you're 16 willing to do old, a joke like that like yeah. obviously like 
that's its own call to action. No, like if you're 12 to 16 years old, like you don't have to be the Einstein of 12 to 16 year olds. You can just be a regular 12 to 16 year old and still have enough knowledge to know that, hey, I shouldn't put this Tide Pod in my mouth, joke or otherwise, internet or otherwise. But people actually did it and actually ate it. So I'm But they so didn't do confused. it seriously, Atlas. That's the thing. They're not eating it because they think it tastes good. They're doing it because they know it's a joke. They know it's going to hurt them, kind of. Not kind of like they don't understand like kill them. It's detergent. I know. I know that you know that that's why I won't eat a Tide Pod. Yeah, but 12 to 16 year olds should also like they they have the capacity to understand that they're not. I I just like I can't wrap my head around it. I know that makes me sound like an old man. You're an old man. I know I am. I am an old man, but like still I can't get to a place where I could understand how another human being who would would eat. If you can operate a phone and put yourself on YouTube, you should have enough baseline intelligence to know to not eat detergent. I don't know. Hello, welcome to the Taste It podcast. It's the tastiest podcast on the Intersphere. Every episode, we are trying something new, a brand new dish. We're talking about how it made us feel, how it tasted, the environment in which we ate it in, whether or not it's worth your time, and whether or not you should try it. And then we're talking about things that we like that you should try, or maybe don't try if we don't like it. It's definitely a mixed bag there. Like it's, it's, there's we, a lot going on. Yeah. We have to, you know, think about where we want to eat, what kind of food we want to have, and then we kind of condense it and then present it in a, in a very funny fashion. I think so. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get started then. If let's 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 do it. Let's Just jump go. right in. Yeah. Let's go in. One hundred percent. Just like Cannonball. Yeah. Straight into the podcast. Yeah. This is a really good episode. I'm excited for this one. Um, we, Why are you so excited? Because we ate at like. A, I have my gripes with it, but it's a, it's an interesting restaurant, and it's one that I genuinely enjoy doing, and I'm glad that we're doing an episode on it. Yeah, for sure. New place, new place, new city, or different part of the city that we haven't talked about on this ep- on this uh, podcast before. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I'm really excited about it. I I just get really excited by like trying a new place, and this is a place that I'd never been to before. Um, so I was happy to go there. Um, and it's also a type of food that I'm not super familiar with, so I was happy to try that as well too. And it's it's like novel, and it's really cool. And uh, I, I just, I, I, I'm, I think it's good content for an episode, and I'm really glad that we're talking about it. Wow, you're building it up a lot. Yeah, I mean, well, b- building it up only to tear it down. <laughs> yeah, essentially, because I know how you actually feel about it. Well, I, my review of the food is one thing, but like, well, well, whatever, we'll get into it. Let's, let's just tell them we went to Ekiben in uh, Fells Point. It's an Asian fusion restaurant in Baltimore, and it's just got like this rich kind of like cool history and a lot going on with it. I don't it. know if it's a rich history. It's definitely a fun history. There's there's the the concept behind it is very fun. But we'll start off with what Asian fusion actually means. Yeah? To kind of like talk about it. Yeah, for sure. You want to you want to take us through it? Uh no, you go ahead. Okay, I'll... cool. Yeah. So I mean, Asian fusion is like really uh just like a taste of all the flavors from like the Asian community. So you have incorporation from like Japanese food, Taiwanese food, Korean food, Indian food. And all of these flavors kind of coming together in like no particular rhyme or reason. So it's 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 really cool. It's taking the best of like East and South Asian food and bringing it all into one place, which is exactly uh, what is happening uh, at this restaurant, Ekiben. Um, so Ekiben has some pretty cool origins. 
Um, it was started by these three guys. You want to tell us about them? Yeah, yeah. So these three guys met, they were college students actually at the University of Maryland in Baltimore County, UMBC. Uh, these three guys basically coming from different parts of, you know, Asian culture, just their families and stuff. For example, we have uh, one person from South India, um, another person from Ethiopia, another person from Taiwan. Um, together, they all kind of had like their own exploration of like different food, uh, food places, food groups, food concepts that, you know, they kind of grew up with. Um, and they put it together in different kinds of dishes at their like college campus. And this kind of started off as like its own hobby. And then this hobby kind of like went one step further. They thought they could like make some money off of it, went to a farmer's market in around Fells Point. Um, they did pretty well. They did pretty significant. And they decided to open up a restaurant in March of 2016. That was a couple years ago. Um, and since then, they've been doing pretty well, I think. Yeah, it's um, been a big hit. Yeah, yeah. So over the past two years, they've gotten like a number of awards. Uh, from travel and leisure magazines, uh, the Baltimore Sun speaks very highly of them. Just in terms of like general Baltimore cuisine, they're very like highly regarded. Yeah, travel and leisure, which is like a magazine lifestyle type thing, and also has a website. Um, used like a Yelp algorithm uh, in this like article they released, which is like the fifty best sandwiches in each state. And Ekiben took the cake for the state of Maryland, so they actually were voted um, using this like algorithm based on. Yelp reviews and user reviews as the best sandwich in Maryland, which is like high praise, high, high praise. And here's the thing, like their sandwiches, quote unquote, um, are actually just like buns of like they're steamed buns with like the food inside of them. Yeah, so, that's like their trademark for sure. They, they Instead of using bread on their sandwiches, they use like a steamed rice bun, which is like um, th- like this rice based, delicious, cakey flavored cloud. cloud. And then they put different meats in there and they use like chicken and meatballs and 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 it and curry and like they bring all these different flavors usually from like the asian community and bring it in and these three guys like they just started cooking as a hobby and then they were able to create these beautiful wondrous like landscapes with food and it's flavors from all over coming together it's pretty cool and it's very non-traditional and it really makes you think what we've done as like around there we're like a couple years below them but like when they were our age they were starting their businesses like right off the bat yeah, they're they're insane. I'm like really impressed with them. Um, but yeah, so I the thing I like about their restaurants is that they kind of stray away from their original traditional Asian food and, and the way that it's prepared and then really just incorporate like these new ideas and flavors and they're they're creators in every sense of the word. And they kind of get far away from from what like tradition is. And it, it's pretty cool. They they actually named their restaurant Ekiben, and Ekiben has like a long standing kind of name and history associated with it so like ekiben is actually known for being famous in in railways and and train stations and things like that so the word ekiben is actually a japanese word it stands for uh eki you know meaning like railway station and then ben is short for bento box bento box is like a meal that's usually like sold at these train station it comes like in a little lunchbox type thing which is crazy and so like some train stations have become like famous for like their ekiben lunches and the food that you can get at train stations tokyo station for example like the biggest uh, and busiest station in, in Japan, not the biggest, but definitely the busiest. Uh, they have like 3000 trains a day. And I'm just like, that's insane to me that like they are able to serve food to that many people and that people that's a lot as- of traffic, right? Yeah. And that people associate train stations with food. Like, I don't think it like Ballparks here and hot dogs, right? We're based in America. And like, we don't think of train stations associated with food. We think of foods like, well, actually, with- isn't that why they started Subway? Get out of here. <laughs> it's kind of like calling Ekiben is kind of like calling, you know, a restaurant Subway. Subway was not started 
in subway systems. we don't know that we haven't tasted it yet we don't we didn't do the research behind subway Boo. what anyway. i'm saying is that like they they are called subway a method of transportation like eki is for like train stations and then ben bento box subs okay that's cool i didn't actually make that make that connection, connection right there. i thought you were talking about like tra- like food associated with train stations in japan talking about transport like... food i.e eki ben okay that's fair yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, to me, it was just like reading that. I was like, this is crazy that like food is associated with rail station because that's so like counter cultural to like what it's like in in the states where like I don't really think about train stations as food. And it's pretty cool that they um, like have this kind of rich culture. It is dying out though because like people take less trains and trains are moving faster and faster. And you know you don't need to have a meal on like a long train ride anymore because train rides are not that long. So. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, well, to bring that tradition into like the modern context, for them to just start off as a hobby, put it together, uh, make a name of themselves because of it, you know, I'm really glad they did it because that means that we got a pretty good meal out of it. Yeah. And, and the reason I bring up like that, you know, historical tradition and stuff like that is because these guys have kind of like veered. It, I think their name is like kind of a, you know, it's like a head nod to like that traditional Japanese style of, of, of like lunch foods, but it's a completely new, very modern take on it. So it's like kind of a two sides of a coin you know and it's 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 pretty it's pretty sweet they bring in the like the old tradition but also bring in a brand new fusion of like different flavors and different styles so why don't we uh, get into it and break down the meals that we had you want to go first yeah so when we were there we kind of had an appetizer and then two different entrees that we were able to share amongst us for the appetizer we had something called tempura broccoli kind of like popcorn shrimp or like pop like just anything fried and like able to eat and like quick bites yeah um, tempura i think is like a japanese word it just means like breaded and fried like in oil and it's it's a delicious way to eat broccoli i mean there's no way it's good for you but it is so 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 tasty if i had had this broccoli as a child i would not have been able to like stop eating vegetables which i think my mom would have loved delicious food um kind of salty mixed really well with the broccoli itself the vegetable so share it with some friends if you ever like walking through fell's point yeah great appetizer to share with friends too because we were just like passing it around it was very delicious yeah um just they they have pretty good uh food portions which i think is important and actually at reasonable prices um for the actual steamed bun that i had it was like ten dollars and like entree wise it was very delicious very filling yeah, so, we both got these sandwiches, best sandwiches in Maryland. So yeah, well, the thing have? is, you can have it either like on a bowl, like traditionally, like in terms of like normal bento boxes, you have like a rice kind of bed, and then you put in like the meats and stuff on top of it, or you can have it in between a bun, which is what they're known for. This is where the sandwich aspect plays in. Um, you put the meats in, inside the steamed bun, and for me, the original, it was a Thai chicken meatball. Now, I don't know exactly what it had in it, but it definitely had a lot of like side pieces that you would put like like a little bit of salad a little bit of greens a little bit of carrots and mixed in with the with the meat itself the meatball delicious very savory very like i don't know it just melted in your mouth very easily then you had a little bit of like vegetables along with that the whole thing together just like fit in in like my palm very easy to eat when like put together like that yeah i mean i gotta i gotta give you actually credit because when i when i thought about chicken meatball i was like yeah you know i'm not you know i think meatball should probably like be like beef or something like that something a little bit heartier but the chicken meatball it was nice because it was light and also very 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 flavorful they packed in a bunch of flavor into those meatballs um before i get into my dish though do you want to do you want to give your you got to give your rating on your dish i'll wait till the end i mean i kind of my rating is based off of like everything in the restaurant and we still need to talk about how it felt and like what we saw and what we did. Sounds good. Okay, fair enough. Uh, then while we're on the topic of food, let's get into my sandwich. So I had the neighborhood bird. 
Uh, it's basically like this fried chicken put in between these uh, steamed rice buns, and then it had this uh, spicy sauce on it, this like kind of secret sauce recipe uh, with a pickled cucumber. And um, I don't know what the difference between a pickled cucumber and a, just a pickle is. I thought that a pickle was what you got when you pickled a cucumber. I, right. I don't know. Either way, delicious, right? No, I no, I hate pickles, and we know this. But and I didn't, I didn't like that pickled cucumber. It was like maybe my least, my least favorite thing. Um, but yeah, lettuce and just like delicious, like onions, a lot of flavor going on in in that sandwich. Really liked it. The chicken itself was so good and like so flavorful, and the spicy sauce, I loved it. I usually don't like spicy things like per se, just because it's really hard to do it without like overkill like when people say something spicy they're just like let's make it as hot as possible yeah, this and not... is like the chick-fil-a sauce but like maybe with a little bit more zing to it yeah it kind of had some kick it was very 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 good uh what i didn't like was obviously the pickled cucumber just because i don't like those flavors i thought it was like a little bit too in your face especially in the sandwich i tried to put my own preferences and biases aside because i don't like the pickle flavor and just see how it fit in with the sandwich and to me it just kind of seemed out of place but you know i bet some people like it um, but for me, the biggest sell was the steamed rice bun. It was so delicious. It's the best way to eat a sandwich is between this bun. So fluffy. And it doesn't even have to be savory. Like this rice bun, it, it's almost like doesn't have a flavor on it. It's just like, it's just such, it, it's like a... I think it absorbs the flavor it, of the that's meat what it is. that's inside of it. Yeah, it takes the flavor of its surroundings. Like rice, you know, yeah. steamed rice. Exactly, which is why it was so good. It, yeah, it's a perfect substitute for rice. And uh, that was my favorite part about it. And I could see it even being like a sweet, like it doesn't have to be savory. Like you could put some sugar on that, maybe like a syrup kind of thing on it. And it would be just as delicious. You could have it as like a dessert. Some soy dish. sauce? Yeah. It, well, <laughs> it's, I don't know. Soy sauce for dessert. That's a, that's a little out there, but you know, I've seen crazier things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, think, I, I liked it. I think that's their, their main one. Yeah. But you also, the chicken that came inside of it was huge. Yes, and so this leads to my It's big, like a skirt hanging oh off of the, <laughs> the bottom of the bun. Don't even get me started. So this is my biggest gripe with this. I don't understand how this can be Maryland's best sandwich, and that's 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 high praise. I mean, there's a lot of sandwiches. I think it's because they gave you the most bang for your buck. Maybe, but like Or because it's chicken, the most buck for your buck. Ooh, do you write these down buck. beforehand? No. <laughs> All improv. I maybe get, maybe you should buck. start. Buck for your buck. <laughs> um but yeah, anyway, so I mean, the, the chicken was enormous. And and to some people, that's a good thing. To me, it was not because it was drizzled in this sauce. And it was in this, uh, the, the rice bun absorbs the flavor, but it doesn't absorb any of the texture. So like if it's in something wet, it doesn't necessarily get wet. And so it was just like the chicken was just soaked and it was too big and it hung out of the, the rice bun. It was very hard to hold. It was very hard to eat. I'm just the kind of person who doesn't like to get my hands sticky or my face sticky and that happened i didn't even know how to attack this thing i couldn't finish it in one sitting it was it was a mess i i like my if i had to pick one complaint about this thing it would just be that it was so difficult to eat it was so poorly constructed in terms of like functionality which is i know like a, a stupid thing to gripe on but like i, I was just i was so pissed while eating it because yeah, just to clarify to our listeners right now he's griping about the size of his food being too was, large <laughs> okay first of all everybody thinks that when it comes to food it's like bigger is better you can go too big and i think the chicken was just too big for this just make the bun bigger it's not that hard or i just know. cut the rest of the chicken off or I just mean. cut the rest of the chicken off. it's just like not it wasn't put together in a way that made it easy to eat and that really that really frustrated me i hope some people but share that frustration i don't I, know i feel like if uh, those people who want a good amount of food though for uh, what they're paying for this is definitely a good place to go um just because they're college like students starting out i think they understood just like the prices and like they're college friendly i would say 
if you're ever in the area, I think it'd be a good place to stop by. Again, it's in Fells Point. It's a little bit like further north, like it's on Broadway Street. So it's kind of like just at the, the northern end of the Fells Point district. Yeah, right there on like Eastern Avenue and Broadway. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a really cool spot, actually. It's like this nice, um, you know, brick and mortar, you know, townhouse looking restaurant. And you go inside. Um, really cool, really, and there's a lot of like cool decorations on the wall. Exactly. Like when it's very you think, fun and fr- like hip and friendly. Yeah. When you hear about the origin stories of like three college guys started this, it definitely has that feel. Cause there's like posters of like things that I like, you know, like Dragon Ball Z and like cool music and like album covers. And they're playing like, you know, Kanye West, Michael Jackson, right. Uh, Frank Ocean. It's all like coming on, on the, on the loudspeakers and it's just really cool. And they're so friendly. They're so nice to you. Some of the best customer service I've had, like on our food adventures, were these guys. They were very conversational. Not only would they ask you like what you want, but they'll ask you like, "Hey, how's your day going?" and stuff like that. Just like really nice guys. And we actually ate outside. The weather was was pretty nice that day, so we were sitting outside, like on the on the stoop, and eating. And they come out and they're like, "Hey, just want to let you know, like we're about to close soon. Like, is there anything else I can get you?" Super friendly. Their customer service, I cannot speak highly enough about it. Yeah, definitely great place. Good food, good service, good location decent price altogether this kind of leads me into like my rating all right let's hear it yeah on a, on a scale from one to six how many licks for this dish um so for all together i think everything considered i gave it a 5.2 you and your high ratings you know how i like to give high ratings to good people and good food so good people for sure yeah definitely so all i right. can see definitely why it was you know pretty highly rated okay do you have uh, any gripes with it I think the only thing, and I think you can agree with me on this, is it was a little bit cramped. It's it's nice and tidy, but it's like a ten seated place. Um, for the amount of people that were there, it seemed pretty like popular. A lot of people come in and out. There's not a lot of places to sit down. Um, yeah, I feel like this is a reoccurring theme with a lot of the restaurants we go to, um, especially in the city. It it can be kind of tough to to get uh like adequate seating room. Uh, but you know, some places manage to do it. And when you can't do it, it really does take away from the restaurant. I agree with you there. Yeah. But overall though, like in terms compared to like other food items that we've had, I gave it a 5.2 because it, it sat just there where the food was really good. Um, maybe just a little bit more and it would have like, gotten a higher rating, but overall I love the place. I definitely would be willing to go back quick snack. If I'm ever in Fells point, um, 5.2 final rating. Okay. That's, that's very fair. Um, for me, I'm going to have to go a little bit lower as per usual. I don't know. I feel like this is another reoccurring theme that we have here. I, I've just, after some thought, I think I came at it really hard when I first had it, but you know, after really considering all the factors, I'm going to give it a solid 3.5 and here's why there's some, there's some big knocks on it. One, I already talked about, it is a, a, a tough sandwich to eat. Like it's designed with flavor in mind and creativity in mind and, you know, fusion in mind. And I appreciate that. But it is not designed with functionality in mind. It's it's a frustrating eat. I don't know. For me, that's a big deal. So I got I to gotta knock it for that. The other thing is the food that they make is delicious and they make it really well. And they have really, 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 really great quality. I don't think they have the quantity. Like you said, their menu is like a little bit, you know, on the short side. They, they make a few things and they make them very, very, very well. Uh, I look forward to like going back and trying different things as they come up with different things. But like if you're going there regularly, you're going to run through that that menu item you know pretty quickly which i guess makes sense it's kind of a stop and go shop they take orders online so it's it's you know they don't need to have a full like three page menu or anything like that but i wish they would you know vary it up a little bit more uh, it is pretty cool and then like you said obviously uh, the space thing is a big issue and and it's something that you know happens to a lot of restaurants especially in the city so you know it is what it is i'm gonna go ahead and stick with my 3.5 rating biggest knock on it was that it was just hard to eat and it just wasn't it wasn't there 
That's and, fair. An- and another thing is, is it's a great sandwich. Don't get me wrong. It's delicious. It's but, it, but I do not believe that it's the best sandwich in, in Maryland. That that food is delicious, what? but it's got it's got room to improve. Definitely got what? room to improve. You don't trust these people who are rating sandwiches. This is basically my dream job, by the well, way. Being nobody, able to rate sandwiches. Do you know how they did it? They didn't actually rate the sandwiches. They used an algorithm to like of analyze Yelp. the number of Yelp reviews the thing had and yeah. then like its average overall rating. So if you're if you think so it's about like it, user rated- it's it has such a big like user base that like you can get more people's opinions. So this means more but people like Ekiben. I don't trust it because they said that the best sandwich in the state of Ohio was a fuck from some random fucking deli in Brook Park, and Brook Park is shit. So but have you tried this deli? I haven't tried this. Then deli, you but can't dock I don't, it. But I don't buy it. I just I don't I don't trust other people's. I I, I don't know. Well, don't either know. way, uh, Eki Ben, um, three point five from Atlas, five point two from Jose. I, I love you personally, Eki Ben. If you're listening, um, if for our listeners out there, go try it out. If you want to take a, if you want to take a look at what these food things look like, go ahead and check out our Instagram. Um, go to our our website tasteitpodcast.com in order to see just the main course like where you can find it and whatnot if you're ever in fells point stop by the area and if you want more check out our facebook and twitter So now on to our second segment, or second part of the show, second half, um, is our Taste of the Weeks. Uh, basically, this is a segment where we talk about a small item or small thing that we looked at throughout the week that we kind of like really vibed with, really connected to. And we did a little bit of research behind it. We kind of went a little bit more in depth as to uh, what we like about it. And basically, we're going to share it now on the show with you guys. It's kind of like what we like talking about when we're eating out with our taste buds and with ourselves, kind of what we like to do and some recommendations for you to try out. Yeah, definitely. So, what do you have for us this week? What do you what do you recommend? What's your taste of the week? So, my taste of the week is called The Bodybuilders by Adam Piori. And every time I say this, it kind of sounds like I'm talking about a workout book. And you know what? Like, I'm I might need it. Um, I've always thought about like getting into the whole workout thing, workout especially games. with all the food that we're eating. But this book I is think it would be not <laughs> about working out. I remember you told me what it's about, so I, I know it's not about working out. Yeah, this book is called The Bodybuilders because it's about engineering human like aspects of things. So literally building bodies. Literally building bodies. I think the the subtitle for it is Inside the Science of the Engineered Human. And let me tell you, this is kind of my thing, dude. Like I went to school studying biomedical engineering, wanted to focus in like prosthetics and stuff. This is kind of like the basics behind all different kinds of biomedical engineering that you can imagine. The bodybuilders. Basically, you can talk about like prosthetics. You can talk about increasing memory capacity. You can talk about regrowing limbs that you've like might have lost in the past, bringing back sight to people that like have gone blind, growing like muscle, kind of like for those people that need the rehabilitation of muscle in your body. Um, you can like make more of it. Uh, telepathy, you know, things that for people that can't speak or can't like vocate their thoughts or vocate what they need, they find a way to let them know or let other people know what they're thinking and what they need. So they touch on all these topics in the book? All these topics come out in the book, yeah. It sounds like a thick book, but I'm looking at it right now, and I know it's not that big. It's a medium-sized book, and you know what? It's, it's cool. It's an easy read because it talks so casually about like all these different topics. Um, Adam Peori used to be like a uh, award-winning journalist for the Newsweek magazine. Um, he like knows his stuff. He knows how to like interview the people that he needs to, but this book kind of comes across more as a narrative. Kind of He goes to these different kinds of places, meets the people, and talks about the things at length. 
and kind of gives a lot of back history. It's well-researched. It has a lot of um, additional topics, a little conversation pieces that are important to understanding the whole concept. It's kind of broken down like episodically. Uh, so like for one episode, he'll talk about prosthetics and like go over the story about how prosthetics are nowadays and go into the main players behind the prosthetic fields and like how they're different across different parts of the world. Yeah, that's really cool. I actually really like that uh, because it makes it easy to like pick up, read a section of it and then put it down if you need to do some other things and then come back to it later because it's when it's broken up into sections like that. Exactly. That's like one of my favorite parts about it. Um, So kind of nice to kind of casual read. And if you want a good idea of like different kinds of bioengineering topics and like what I like to like look into, I recommend it. So I hear that there's a very interesting character in this book that uh, is not a character. He's a real person, but uh, he's talked about, and it, he's got a really fascinating background. It fits right into what this book is talking about. You want to take yeah, us through it? Absolutely. So I'm going to start off with the story and kind of like lead with like the ending. So the story is about the 17 year old boy. His whole life, he had been like going into rock climbing, and like that became more of a hobby of his. To the point where he was like watching like national people, national competitors in rock climbing, seeing how they how they did their thing, brushed up on it, doing practice on his own. He built like a scale replica of one of the rock faces, the most difficult rock faces these rock climbers were experiencing. He built it in his backyard, Wait, and so this guy built one of the most difficult like rock faces yeah if you imagine like an incline coming at you instead of like forward right like one where you had to like hang off almost he recreated live in a mountain how did he recreate this in his backyard with wood and determination that's amazing so he made like a like a fake rock wall that replicated this really hard real where where all like the handholds and footfalls were he was able to place them out almost exactly and then he would practice it at home so that when time came for him to like work it out on the actual thing he just went through it super easy. This guy's 17? 17 at the time. Fuck me up. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Okay, He's probably that's, younger, that's, actually. That because is... 17 is when this big event happened. But oh we'll my get into God, that. that is so fucking cool. Okay, go on. So as he was pursuing more and more dangerous climbs, one of the climbs he did involved a very tall mountain that he did with a friend of his. And he did it in like wintertime or a time when there was like lots of snow coming down on this mountain. Uh, as he was climbing up, the kind of snow came and kind of blocked out most of the cover underneath him. So he couldn't really see what would happen if he went down. So as he was climbing up, it became too dangerous to keep going up. So he started to climb down and he couldn't see that he was actually climbing down into this valley. And in this valley, all the snow started to accumulate and like kind of made it difficult for them to get out of it. Basically, he was stuck trying to find his way out. So him and his friend walked and tried to find shelters, try to stay warm. And he was stuck there for three days before someone came across uh, their tracks or something and it was able to actually find them. He's 17. He's stuck down in this like snow ridden valley for three days. That's what I'm saying. Yes. And he survived. And, well, yeah, he survived barely because someone oh found God, him, this luckily. Is, this is like the toughest kid of all time. Come right. On. So then because he was like in the snow and like in the cold for three days, he developed hypothermia. You know, parts of his skin, parts of his lower legs were severely dead. So they had to amputate his legs. And it was both legs. Both of them came off. And to be that young and to like have a career in or like an aspiring career in rock climbing and to lose your legs, that's like the most devastating thing that could happen to you. Yeah, but this he was guy, very good from what I've from what i've heard um as he was like i said he was gonna be one of the greats and then he lost his legs well here's what happened after his amputation you know he became kind of depressed for a little bit not being able to move around as much he kind of became homebodied one day he decided you know what i don't want to live a life like this i kind of want to do more so he got out of his wheelchair and started like working out his upper body so that it could be better condition what he ended up doing was that his prosthetics that he used for rehabilitation he kept looking at them in different ways in order for him to feel more comfortable with them, but also to like get the best feeling out of them. By that I mean like 
he wanted to be able to walk again without much without getting as tired or without getting as hurt as like what normally would happen if you wear prosthetics if you think about how prosthetics were maybe like 20 years ago they were just chunks of like lower ch- chunks of foam and like metal stuck together rigid that's it there's not really much to it other than them being placeholders for your limbs and if you think about how complex your limbs are you know that's different level entirely his determination took him one step further he started working closer to his prosthetic his pro- prosthetician and together they came up with better prosthetics together is that how you say that his uh, prostitution 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 oh my god uh, no <laughs> Dude, i it's because I have the headphones on right now. I, I can't like hear everything perfectly, so I was just like, "Wow, okay." You yeah. took the story of this. No, I'm so sorry. Aspiring, go on, go young on, go man. On. It was so funny too. One I, of money making and no, I thought that I thought that that <laughs> might have been the word for it, and I was like, "Who would have thought it?" Anyway, sorry, go on. Prosthetic technician. Would you Prosthetic that? technician. Okay. In either case, you were saying. Anyways, so he became so interested in learning more about how to put these kind of components together finding the right materials, finding the right like uh, setups or like diagrams or designs for his prosthetic, that he went to a community college, learned a lot more about physics and about how like the trade-offs between hitting the ground and like getting that extra bump forward, kind of like what your legs do, um, how important that is and how like those forces are required for you to like walk correctly. He was able to take that knowledge that he had and then apply to MIT. MIT, seeing like how determined this kid was and seeing how good he was getting, offered him a master's program or a PhD program at this school. And more so, after the fact, he became a professor of prosthetics because during his time there, he was able to explore more and more this field of prosthetics, making mechanical prosthetics, prosthetics that actually create movement, uh, like using motors and using batteries, being able to find the right conditions and right balances of different equipment in order for his legs to be even more realistic. What's this guy's name? Hugh Herr. You her, you are like the coolest dude ever. This is the most remarkable story I've ever heard. You could check out his TED Talks. Like he has like amazing t- like conversations about like overcoming adversity and like overcoming oh, dope. Okay, we will, obstacles. We'll we'll link those TED Talks in the show notes and our website. Cool. Awesome. Sure, we could do that. Yeah. Um he was actually like one of my inspirations behind like pursuing prosthetics and stuff. So it's very, very cool because he did so much research into finding the right power systems involved with it. Um, and being able to like use this to his advantage because after the fact he was able to come up with better prosthetics for rock climbing so he kind of went back to his original passion being able to do it even better than what he was before you know the incident happened okay that's that's like one of the most remarkable stories to me and and it's so remarkable because like this guy has a dream to like be this great rock climber and he's good at it and he can he can do that dream he's building like rock faces in his backyard at age 16 17 whatever has this horrible obstacle thrown at him in which his life is irrevocably damaged forget about his dream just his day-to-day life is damaged beyond belief and then he goes on to overcome that not only become uh, a, an ordinary functional person in life like like anybody else or something like that but goes above and beyond to become a very like well-established mit professor with a wide knowledge of physics and prosthetics and then uses that knowledge and that excelled like excelling that he did at, at in the face of this hardship to go back to his original dream. That is the most remarkable thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I'm just like straight blown up away Iron by Man. That. Like yeah. like real life, even like more interesting Iron Man. Yeah, arguably. actually, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so I mean, yeah. Like he's, he, he's yeah Iron Man. Yeah, I mean he like the way that he looks at like these kinds of you know equipment and it, this kind of uh, additional stuff that he has. He's able to like create better things so, like longer legs, for example. Like if he needs to like reach different footholds, he's able to like do that. Um, if he wants to like use spikes for like ice, like ice rock climbing, he can do that also. 
he developed something I think was really cool called a spider suit. Um, it kind of like uses different parts of his muscles to kind of help him climb easier. So like, like that action of pulling up from like a handhold and, you know, kind of climbing up, he's able to like use his back muscles or lower back muscles to help him with that muscles. Maybe that you don't normally use. Um, I so, don't know how rock climbing works, but so he's he, able to make a suit to help him access more muscle. So he hasn't really, yeah, he hasn't only recovered to the point where he is, you know, functional and can perform at the capacity that, you know, um, a, a, a human being can, can perform, but then he's actually excelled beyond that and augmented himself to generate some superpowers yeah which i think is what you're getting into yeah uh, which is like a, a discussion in the book you want yeah to- so one of the ma- the major discussions of the book you know studying all this kind of summing it up the way that you did it's this argument of restoration versus augmentation um that doesn't just apply to prosthetics but it also applies to like other conditions that you might have like if you have muscle atrophy restoration would bring you back to like normal working conditions like kind of how the average human does but if you want augmentation that's like taking that muscle, that atrophied person and making him like a bodybuilder, you know, to use that word again in different contexts. Um, for this case, Hugh Her, he took his restoration coming back and being able to walk normally on his legs again, I, albeit being prosthetic legs, and he augmented it into being like an expert rock climber doing things that no other rock climbers can do. Um, and it's a very interesting concept to think about because it's one thing to kind of bring people back to quote unquote normal and being able to do the same things that normal people do. Um, it's, but that's especially the case for people who lose limbs, you know, prosthetics in general, you know, you lose a limb, you lose a major aspect of normal daily life. So you want that restoration to be able to perform actions. Imagine losing your dominant hand and having to relearn all the things that you had to, and then having a prosthetic that can't, doesn't necessarily meet all that expectation kind of can be hard on the person. So restoration would bring back to dexterity, that feedback, the tactile motions, you know, that are necessary. That's really hard. And that's why it's really interesting to pursue and why I like to pursue it. But I've always thought about augmentation as being like an even cooler aspect because it always introduces this aspect of being beyond what a normal person can do. And it's always something I've considered. Like, what if like a normal person considered augmentation? And that's a whole like bio- biomedical thing. And I'm interested to think what you think about. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's that's really cool. I also have like a vested interest in this field. I mean, we both have our degrees in engineering. So I've always been fascinated with the idea of like, being at the forefront of, you know, making people quote unquote better or, or, you know, more versatile, more functional than what is quote unquote normal. Right. So, uh, like you said, what if we took these like augmentative properties, um, um, and applied them to people who are already, you know, fully functioning, so to speak, and, you know, made their functionality go past that, that to me is really cool, but also really scary. Um, and I think it's kind of coming now a lot in like pop science. I don't know if you guys are familiar with CRISPR. People are talking about like gene editing and stuff like that. And CRISPR is actually one of the topics. Yeah. And it's bringing up really cool ethical debates about like, you know, where are the limits of us trying to, you know, advance, uh, advance ourselves and stuff like that. And, and I think there's, there's some merit into those debates and things like that. But I mean, humans have been augmenting themselves for years, for centuries, right? We've always been doing things to like make us, at least this is my reading on it, we've always been doing things to like make ourselves better, right? Maybe not in the most obvious ways. Glasses, for example, I wear glasses, you those wear are, glasses as those well. There's a restoration technique that they're right. not augmentation. No, 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 but like they're, they're now coming in, uh, the point I was going to take this was I was going to say they're now coming up with, you know, smart glasses. I know Google Glass was like a huge flop. But, you know, they're they're coming up with contacts now. And you may have seen this in your, like, favorite pop science magazine or whatever. But, like, they have contacts right now that are supposedly can zoom in and record video. And so now we're, like, at that cusp of, like, 
we're taking, you know, restorative techniques and, and even, you know, augmentative techniques that people have had for a while and, and you know, making them better. And, and going back to the point of like we've been augmenting ourselves for a year, not just with like glasses and corrective lenses and things like that, but like vaccines, for example. You, humans are supposed to be susceptible to polio like we are. Um, that's that's our biology. But we went ahead and augmented our biology uh, with this technique of like vaccines, for example, the polio vaccine that was discovered and then applied to humans to make us resistant to that type of disease. So we've we've been doing this for a while. So I don't think people need to be as afraid of it um, as they are. Uh, and and can I kind of understand that, you know, it, it's 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 going to be a natural progression, but we're just getting so good at it and we're skyrocketing and advancing so fast at it now, which I think is the scary part of it is how quickly it's happening. Right? Yeah. To go back to the whole muscle debate, you know, talking about taking augmentation features too far or like unethically. And so like if these muscle enhancers were made for like muscle atrophy people, people who are losing musculature either because of age or because of disease um, and bringing them back to normal or bringing their uh, muscles, making them stronger again. What, what's to stop someone from taking it from normal, you know, and taking it to one step further? So like instead of restoration, i.e. just being augmentation, is it ethical, for example, for a normal person or a bodybuilder to want to get more muscle by taking CRISPR, for example, and editing their gene structure to produce more uh, the things that would cause muscle to like grow more and stronger and bigger? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, what do you mean by ethical? I mean, in terms of like, if you're going to use it to win competitions? No, that's cheating. That's why steroids are illegal. Is it ethical to like, let him do that? Because that's who he or she wants to be? Um, then that was like, my question. Yeah, yeah, why not? I mean, I don't I don't know. There people have always been like using I mean, there's people who use steroids now. Um, because they want to, you know, regardless of how safe it may or may not be, that's the decision that they're making. I don't think it's an unethical decision. Okay, well, here's another question then. Like, if I had to say, there, there's a whole movement here called transhumanism, which I think I'm encroaching upon. Uh, the movement kind of revolves around the concept of taking a normal person, someone who doesn't uh, acquire all these things that I've talked about, about like being blind, for example, being deaf, being mute, uh, losing a limb. This is taking a normal person with all his like faculties intact and giving them an extra sense or taking their senses beyond normal. So like, let's say, for example, um, you implant something in your skin or underneath your skin, and it gives you the ability to detect, uh, what is it, like magnetic fields or like temperature to like a very intense sensitivity. Is that something that you think you would be interested in, for example? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, is the question like that's something that, that I would be okay with, like having that done to me? Um, yeah, of course. I think I think it's really cool. And, and for me, it, it goes back to this idea that, you know, with the rise of technology and with the rise of medicine and, and, and biology, and as we get better at those things and understand those fields a little bit better, we naturally augment ourselves. And we've been doing it for, for centuries and decades. So I feel like this is just the next evolution in that. And, and I'm open to it. You know, I'm, I'm open to it as long as it goes through you know, the proper avenues. And it's, you know, it, we have, I mean, we're always going to stumble and, and things aren't always going to be entirely safe. And, and, you know, we won't know until we try. Uh, and you know, that might not always work out, but I'm, I'm definitely, I, I'm excited by that possibility. And I, I would be interested in having that done. Yeah. You know, like me too. Yeah. That's actually something that I've actually, like I've encountered a lot of people be opposed to because they think that, uh, I think it's kind of along the same vein of like not wanting to get a tattoo because it's permanent. Um, it's it's just the fact that like you're taking your body and doing something to it and you know getting a different result that sets you differently that sets you apart from other people right and you don't know how the outcome is going to be yeah yeah there's a lot of people who are opposed to getting prosthetics because they're scared of like how people view them after the fact 
there's a stigma tied to it. Maybe? Yeah, almost. Yeah. And that, that plays a lot into like how willing they are to accept those prosthetics as part of their daily life. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting and so kind of sad because they're trying to like get some aspect back out of it and to have other people's opinions affect that. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. And that's like an interesting topic to explore. And those conversations are going to be coming up more and more uh, as, you know, technology and medicine advances. So, uh, and a good place to start is by reading this book where I'm sure some of those conversations are had. So why don't we go ahead, The Bodybuilders by Adam Piori, yeah, right? I don't know if that's how you say his last Piori, name. Piori, Piori. Yeah, maybe. Um, so uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, you can put your Taste It rating on it. Yeah. So because it's smart and well-researched, easy to read, it has a big emphasis on the main players involved with each of these fields. Um, because it comes across a wide berth of topics and like all, all of them so interesting all that he her stuff that i talked about that's just one chapter it's the first chapter of the book and like if you want more stories like that um i'd have to give this rating a 5.5 um the only thing i didn't like about it was that uh it doesn't go into the scientific aspects of it i'd love to like research more on the side i guess but to have that in the book would have been great too like as a side component as an appendix piece to see how those things break down uh, maybe have a couple pictures involved just to kind of get a better idea of like how certain items look like. Um, that's what brought my taste rating down by just 0.5. But overall, great book, 5.5, The Bodybuilders, Adam Peori. Yeah, really cool. Um, and just to, to interject really quick about, about the one takeaway that you had on it, I think that's the problem with writing um, popular science that's suitable for you know a wide audience is that you can't get into as much as you want to the technical aspects i'm sure the author wanted some people right wanted to explore that wanted to explore the more you know kind of hardcore science parts of it but then you know you lose interest with uh, a wider audience maybe people who aren't as interested in that so it's, it's always a balancing game uh and that's i mean that's really the achilles heel of pop science but yeah i'm kind of scared that maybe this book maybe teetered a bit on the pop science so i don't know i'll, I'll keep it at a 5.5 but there are some things that um maybe the more avid reader of these kinds of topics would want to go into but i think just for a casual reader casual observer if i was recommending something to someone this is a good book to start off with um, and if you want to learn more about what i think about it or what i want to go more into go ahead and read my taste of the week on our website on the side dish uh com. Why don't we get into your taste of the week now, Atlas? I've given mine. Uh, what was yours? Yeah, so my taste of the week this week is actually another podcast. Um, this is the best podcast on the Intersphere, as we all know, but there's other podcasts on the internet, which is a completely different thing. Intersphere, internet, look it up. Um, it's not a real thing. Um, so uh, this is another podcast that I think you guys should listen to. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to it all the time when I'm driving uh, to and from work. Uh, and when I'm just like lounging around the house on the weekend, uh, I love it. And it's called uh, Philosophize This. So it's actually a philosophy podcast. Um, as you know, I think I've mentioned it on the show before. I, I am a huge like philosophy nerd. Uh, I love huge, huge. I love philosophy. Um, I love reading it. I love talking about it. I love listening to it. And so this podcast for me is like just a great fit. And I wanted to take the opportunity to talk about it on this show. And if anybody else is interested in philosophy, I highly recommend uh, you check it out. So it's a podcast by this guy. His name is Stephen West, and he uh, is based in Seattle, Washington. And he started this podcast. Uh, it's got to be around five years ago now. Um, I haven't been listening to it five years. I've been listening to it for maybe like one and a half, two. 
but it's quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. And basically every episode. Wow, big praise. I know, right? Yeah. Well, one of my favorite podcasts except for this one. Aha, there yeah. You go. Thank you. That's the right answer. <laughs> Nailed it. So it's uh, every episode, he's basically uh, dissecting a, a different philosopher or school of thinking and philosophy. And he kind of goes loosely in a, you know, like chronological order in terms of philosophers, but sometimes he'll veer into different stories and just talk about um, different things. And so uh, he will kind of do like these series. So he'll maybe like do a series on one philosopher, Descartes, for example, and he'll do like four or five episodes about this topic that Descartes wrote about intensely. And then he'll do like a series on Simone de Beauvoir or Michel Foucault or something like that. And, you know, he'll go into... Uh, discussions about those philosophers and things that they did and, and stuff that he likes about them. I've heard these names before. Honestly, there's nothing more <laughs> pretentious or douchey than talking about philosophy. Every time I talk about philosophy with anybody, I sound like a complete asshole. And there's no way to do it. It's just because every philosopher has a really like pompous, like posh name. Uh, Rene Descartes, Simone de Beauvoir. You know, yeah. it's just like the most ridiculous names ever. And there's no way to talk about philosophy without sounding like an asshole. This is... Except when Stephen West does it, (laughs) (laughs) which is actually like a perfect segue into what I like most about this podcast. I read somewhere, and I don't want to report this because it's it's unverified, but I did read on like a blog somewhere that this guy, Stephen West, had never taken a philosophy course. Wow. Um, He is like self-taught, loves philosophy so much that he just reads all these books. And this is just like he puts together these really beautiful episodes, and they're just like his honest dissection and opinion of it, how how he interprets it, but also like how other philosophers might interpret it. Um, And he basically is presenting this really like complex academic type information in a very tangible and digestible way. And that's one of my favorite things about his podcast and the way that he does it. Um, It's great. And and, and I, I read on his website that he wants to do this and he takes the time to put together this podcast and he does a really good job at it uh, because philosophy means so much to him. Uh, so he he's like, you know, it, it means so much to me. It's gotten me like through these hard times and things like this. Um, and I want to share that with the world. And so I just love that. Like to me, that's super inspiring. And I kind of feel the same way about philosophy. Like it's it's a great way to, you know, look look at the world around you and just kind of like understand it in, in, a, in a really cool way. Uh, being your friend, definitely. I've gotten a lot of philosophy lessons for sure. Like whenever we're in a car together or eating out, there are a lot of times when like you're explaining to me this philosophy concepts and I'm really into it. It's really cool. It's, uh, and, so hearing that you are inspired by the Stephen West, like that's, yeah, that's interesting. And I, I share, I think I share with this guy, Stephen West, this concept that philosophy really is for the everyday man or woman, right? It really is for conversations to have in a car, you know, conversations to have over lunch. Um, because if you think about it, philosophy is really integral into the way that, you know, you look at life. And uh, uh, point number two, which is one of my favorite things about Stephen West, is that like if you sit in a philosophy class – um, like I, I've done when in college, usually like the professor will lecture, like so-and-so said this, this is why it's important. This, you know, yada, yada, yada. So-and-so Context, said this, yeah. exactly. This is how it related to this other person. This is why he was wrong, whatever, you know, all this stuff. And and it's cool, but it it's a big fucking eye roll. And I think that's why people sound douchey when they typically talk about philosophy because everybody's just like rolling their eye and they're just like, whatever, who cares? Like, you know, you sound like an asshole, that kind of a thing. And, and this guy, Stephen West, he doesn't do that. He will actually like take really universal concepts like insecurity, for example. He'll take uh, concepts like, you know, politics and, and political divide and religion and consumerism. And, you know, like we live in a capitalist economy uh, in a country that is very politically divided. And, you know, he'll make these concepts super understandable through like a, a, the lens of a topic in philosophy. 
And then you can take that and like look at your world and the place that you're in. Um, and it bridges that gap, right? Like I have nothing in common with Rene Descartes. I don't give a shit about him or what he has to say. And if I sat in a lecture and somebody told me about Rene Descartes, I'd probably roll my eyes and be like, who cares? Whatever. Right. right. Uh, or at least that's how most people. That's approach. how I did. Right. <laughs> and that's how most people approach, you know, philosophy and philosophical reading. But this guy, Stephen West, he's like, okay, don't think about that. Maybe think about this. This is something universal. This is something you can relate to. And then let's talk about it, um, you know, through the lens of a concept that Descartes wrote about. And it just makes it super tangible. It makes it super relatable. And it makes it something that you can bring into your life. So the reason that I talk to you about philosophy over dinner or on the way to car or about a regular mundane everyday concept is because that's how I've learned to enjoy and read philosophy with, you know, regular everyday applications um, and just in a really tangible way. And it doesn't have to be this super like esoteric thing that like shakes your spirit to the ground and, you know, your what is the meaning of everything and all this stuff like that. It can just be about a regular concept like, you know, insecurity or shame or fame, famousness and, you know, famous people and, and stuff like that. And you can apply really cool philosophical thinking to those concepts and, and you know, just like kind of elevate your conversation and, and have a really cool conversation. Yeah. And Stephen West does a great job. It's very conversational. It doesn't feel like a lecture at all, although he's incredibly intelligent. He's incredibly well read and all of his lessons are super professional and there he takes his time with his episodes and you can really tell that he goes through the important points and tries to bring it to you in a nice digestible kind of um you know broadcast right. format yeah it's it's great can i ask you a question please do uh have you ever like gone about your day and just something happened to you and you start thinking about it and then you start applying philosophy to it and they're like well this philosopher said this like let's say for example you go out and you're like i'm hungry and you're like but what is hunger well, Rene Descartes said this about hunger, or has that ever happened to you in some aspect? Uh, definitely not to that extreme. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I'm not an insane person, but I, I, I mean, honestly, I, I, it has happened a lot of times. I think about. Uh, I was um, talking with uh, you know my brother about basketball, and we were just having a, which is something that we love to do. Yeah, and we were just having a conversation. I, you know, who's a better player? You know, go what, Cavs, right? Go Cavs! Let's go. Um, so what are we like five and 20 now? Jesus. <laughs> Side note. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're just having a regular conversation, which team's the best, who's, who's going to win the champion and stuff like that. And I was thinking about the way that we were arguing and the way that we were structuring our points and like the facts that we were using and the narratives we were trying to tell to convince each other, which is something that, you know, we love to do. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it in terms of philosophy and stuff like that. I was thinking about like, you know, tribal psychology and, and things that other philosophers have wrote about thinking about the motivations between trying to persuade people and this you know the morality and thinking you're always right and you know and stuff like that and so i was thinking about that while we were talking and it was really cool and again it's just like an everyday situation that i've applied philosophical thinking to um but no i don't i don't think i apply it to like every decision i make or, or think about it in, in every in everyday life right um although that's something that you totally could do and would be justified in doing because like i said i think philosophy is for the for the everyday man um one thing i will say is though something i've got from the philosophize this podcast from stephen west is that he's taught me how to read philosophy too because uh in, in addition to listening to podcasts i love to read books um i love to read uh things that philosophers have written and one of my favorite things uh is like reading something and then seeing like okay this is why this is important or applicable or tangible to me living in the 21st century uh you know in baltimore as a, as a young as a young man um, and so like listening to the philosophize this podcast, you start to learn the important takeaways from philosophy. And then when you go to read philosophy later by yourself, you can read something and then you're looking for those important takeaways and then it, it comes out. So, uh, I, it's not just like 
that he breaks up philosophy and shows it to you, but he shows you how to appreciate philosophy. So if you're somebody who doesn't really appreciate philosophy, maybe listening to this podcast will help you appreciate philosophy from other sources, be it books or other podcasts or something like that. And and you'll see some takeaways that you can take. Yeah, and then right after you can go out for some takeout food and then talk about it on Tasted Podcast. I exactly. Mean, <laughs> that's how we do it. That's how we do it here. Uh, if you were going to go get some of that takeout food, where would you get it from? Uh, I could think of a couple places, but maybe I'll talk about a different episode. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Ekiben. Maybe Ekiben. <laughs> maybe not. Um, before we wrap up, I'm just going to put my Taste It rating on this. Yeah. Um, I, I really like this podcast. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I'm going to have to give it a 4.9 out of 6 licks. Why Why 4.9? I know, I know, right? I just gave it all this high praise. So I think because he takes his time, and I can't really fault him for this, because he takes his time and puts a lot of work into this craft of like, you know, making these episodes, making them incredibly tangible um, for a, a wide audience, um, making them really good. Uh, the work isn't as consistent as I want it to be, right? So he puts out this podcast. You might not hear from him again, maybe a month or two. I I think I since I've started listening, it's never been more than two months that he hasn't put out another episode. But because they're so good and because I'm like craving them all the time, I just want to like, I binge watched uh, like so many, or sorry, binge watched, binge listened, I yeah, guess, that, that so many podcasts um, from this guy when I first started listening and eventually I listened to them all and now I have to wait for them to come out. And so they're, they're just a little bit slower, but I think, that he does that in an effort to make it really, really, really good. Um, so it's kind of like pop philosophy, yeah, like a little bit better. It's it's really good. It's uh, yeah, it's it's popularized philosophy is a good way to put it, but it doesn't lose any integrity. I, I don't think because I think he's really uh, presenting the information in a really good way. Another knock I have on it um, is that he is, and he says this himself on his website. He says he's agnostic about almost every major issue. So. Uh, that's a pro and a con. He's giving you an unbiased look at a lot of things, and he'll talk about religion and politics and some pretty divisive things. But he doesn't judge, and he doesn't give his own input. So he just gives the facts, right? It's very uh, in that way. It's very practical and and it's very unbiased, which I appreciate heavily. But he's also such an interesting person, and he's so smart and so well read that I would love to pick his brain and see what he thinks and his opinions on certain things. Uh, but he doesn't include that in the show in, a, in an effort to stay very academic. And so I respect it in, in one regard, but it, it also hurts in a little bit. So overall, 4.9, but I highly recommend it. I think everybody should check it out. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Okay. So just wrapping it up, uh, this week we had a really, really great show. We tried Ekiben, uh, you know, in Fells Point. In Fells Point, right here in Baltimore, uh, voted, uh, I guess by, by Yelp algorithms. And by me. And by Jose, the best sandwich in Maryland. Um, and then we had the book, your book. Uh, the Bodybuilders Inside the Science of the Engineered Human by Adam Piori. Check it out. And my taste of the week philosophize this, the podcast by Stephen West. Give it a listen. It's really good. If you want to learn more about the things that we talked about, make sure you check out our website, tasteitpodcast.com. You can see pictures uh, of us and the foods that we eat. And sometimes we'll incorporate some of our taste of the week on our Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. It's going to be at Taste It Podcast. That's Taste IT Podcast. And, and we'll see you guys next time.